0: You are listening to Disrupt Development, the podcast that shares inspiring stories of disruptive thinkers and doers within sustainable development. The call to change the balance of power in development cooperation is getting louder and louder. It is time for more local ownership of the global agenda. Everyone seems to agree. There is even a real movement under the hashtag Shift to Power. The development community has been talking about this for decades now. But what has actually changed? In this new podcast series of Disrupt Development, I'm going to talk with great minds about the Shift to Power debate. This is the first episode of the Shift to Power podcast series. Together with Eveline Burning, we're going to talk about the circus of development cooperation, how development professionals are the accountants of change instead of the drivers of change, the power of communities, and together we will share tips for organizations who receive new funding for programs.
1: We've internalized a lot of behaviors from the past as, as development organizations, as practitioners, as experts. Um, we, we've internalized a lot of what we think of as tricks, uh, which are actually getting in the way of, of real development and yeah. real power shift.
0: Eveline Bruining is executive director of The Hunger Project Netherlands, an organization committed to the sustainable end of world hunger. She's a well-known discussion leader in the field of development cooperation member of various boards, and previously was the editor-in-chief of the Development Corporation magazine, Visa Versa. She is a disruptive thinker who likes to take a critical look at her own assumptions and those of others. She fights against cynicism and always looks at what is possible. Eveline Brenning, welcome to the Disrupt Development podcast. Um, I have been working for quite some years now in Development Corporation, and Basically, since people have been talking about the unequal power dynamics and the need to shift towards local ownership and leadership. Evelyn, you are a known activist within the Shift to Power debate. Happy to have you here. During your uh, prep talk, you informed me that you believe development cooperation is one big circus and that you have a deep conviction that we need to shift the power. Um, I'm very curious, Evelyn, What do you think development cooperation is a circus?
1: um well it's a it it contains a very wild variety of of trained and untrained um creatures right um and in the end i think many of us are trying to jump through the same burning hoop helped by large institutional donors um uh but not always willingly so um but if you if you take one or two steps back it's a magnificent a spectacle to watch with all the different things that we're doing and all the all the glitter and enthusiasm and skill and um, conviction that we bring to the circus ring so I
0: think circus is a pretty good analogy for it and do you also encounter specific challenges within this circus <laughs> um,
1: many of course so uh, it, it really one of the key challenges is who determines what act we are actually running in the middle of the ring um, and so, uh, if you take it to the shift, the power debate is that the um, uh, far too often that's that 's the person who who's managing the circus rather than uh, the people who are living in it and so uh, I think what we need to do is make sure that in development cooperation, the people who are actually uh, at stake the most those those who populate the ring uh, should be the ones driving driving the program and um, and not so much the, the circus director with its whip yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you maybe we should just drop the circus analogy because it's a bit you know, becoming a bit torturous yeah. but it's um uh really what, what we've done is is uh, we've internalized a lot of behaviors from the past as as development organizations, as practitioners, as experts. Um, we, we've internalized a lot of what we think of as tricks, uh, which are actually getting in the way of, of real development and yeah. real power shift.
0: And what, what kind so, of tricks are you talking about?
1: Well, I, you know, if once you've been trained, uh, sort of housebroken as one of those circus ponies decked in feathers and glitterati, um, you. you you, you tend to keep running the same act. And sometimes mm. uh, I find that development organizations uh, are shying away from spaces that are available, from, from shifts that are available, but still sort of repeating the same lock frame thinking or the same sort of um, things that they've done in the past to, to please funders and donors and circus masters
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that, that aren't necessarily functional, but just because they've internalized it as a trick um, that they know, and so they repeat it. So, so I think, we, you know, many of us um, have become part of the problem um, yeah, yeah. rather than something that, that I would want to pay a ticket to watch.
0: And in one of your interviews on the visa versa you stated that we as NGOs have become the accountants of change rather than the engine. I assume <laughs> you must be talking about the role of NGOs from the Global North. Um, could you please explain why we have become these accountants?
1: Oh, it's not necessarily just accountants from the global north. Um, I fear that you know, in, in a lot of systemic um, uh, squeezes that we've come into, but in education, in healthcare, but definitely also in development cooperation, um, we seem to have confused quality with filling out endless lists uh, that provide a semi-certainty of quality. So you, you, you become a, a keeper of protocols rather than a driver of change um, and hence the the analogy of, of being an accountant or even a bookkeeper this is when you're spending almost all of your time um, counting your outputs uh, rather than contemplating whether you have real impact because th- that is not what we count uh, so much and so so I this is part again of of the I think problematic behavior that we've internalized tricks, if you want, um, that, that we've run into our, into our programming. Um, so following um, log frame thinking uh, rather than, uh, than being able to, to apply the flexibility that is needed to do development work.
0: And, and why is this flexibility so important?
1: Because circumstances are are different everywhere, so here's the anthropologist in me speaking, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, so you do not apply a one size fits all uh, logical framework uh, even within one country, because there are so many differences in region between regions, between communities, between even within communities. Um, y- you need to have the space to 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 adapt to what is what is available locally, what is strong and what is valid and build from there. Uh, but if you're working from a, from a programming logic, uh, a top-down programming logic, it's, it's very easy to bypass that. Um, and then in the end you kill all kinds of local initiatives and, and, and locally available strengths, just because you want to be safe and, uh, and stick to the, the, the logical framework that you have.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think this is also one of the challenges I've been encountering within my personal work. How can we develop programs and projects which are based on the needs of the individuals for whom we are developing it for. Um,
1: So why why would you be developing that program and project and not the individual that you're developing it for?
0: Well I think this is a very good question and something which uh, needs change on how do you co-create programs. Um, Looking at it from your experience, um, how would you develop uh, programs uh, together with uh, local communities?
1: well it's first and foremost by by um, by putting local communities very solidly in the driving seat uh, of what needs to be uh, defined as the problem, then what needs to be defined as the solution so developing a joint vision uh, as a community for for what you what you want to be changed and then setting your own priorities within that vision is something that we know how to do that i mean we've been doing yeah. it since the eighties um uh, but we've far too often bypassed that because we have limited time, because there are funding restrictions, because we wrote this beautiful proposal and then we only got half the money and then, uh, and then we had a time squeeze and then somebody was ill and then we went to the field six months later. And so now we're squeezed, 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 and then we're delivering within the you know, constraints that we have. So we're doing the very, very best that we can. It's not, for, it's not because we want to overpower people with our, um, with our systems. Uh, um, but it's but it's far too often what we end up doing um, by the restrictions that that we've built into our system. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, and and on the other side, there's also lots and lots of experts, not just in northern NGOs, mind you. I've encountered them in many southern NGOs as well, who believe strongly believe that they know better than local communities what is needed to change, um, and who hold that. Vision very very clearly and so try to tell other people how their you know how they should define their own future um, and so that's that's not you know that's not just endemic to northern NGOs that's that's endemic to trained experts.
0: <laughs> yeah, and how would you see then the role the northern NGOs usually take um, as being the capacity builders of um, southern NGOs? Um, what is your take on that?
1: So, so to me, the role of capacity building is crucial and fundamental, and it's been, it's, it's, it's been for a very long time, um, uh, a a key thing that we say we do in development, right? Building capacity. um, Somehow we don't seem to be able to let go after Mm -hmm. the capacities have been built. Um, And so uh, if you're really aiming at sustainable self-reliant local organizations, then you also need a sustainable exit scenario. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and I, I've, I've not come across that very often.
0: But isn't it um, also about like that many organizations still hold the view that we as experts should bring development uh, there? Um, it's, it's about the semantics, right? Uh, like capacity building and... and- Yes. Yeah. And so I mean, and, and and
1: and a lot of it has become about language, right? So mm. you don't do capacity building, but you do capacity enhancement, or you do capacity strengthening, or leveraging whatnot, or unleashing capacities that are dormant. Uh, uh, but so if you if you want to take it all the way down the street, what you're what you're what you're still doing. Is perpetuating inequality
0: <laughs>
1: um, and so that's the really tough one to, that tough nut for all of us to crack in this in this in this shift of power do we truly trust local communities to drive their own development um, and if we do and I think we have the tool sets to actually work with local communities which is
0: what kind of tool um, sets are you talking about
1: oh i mean since the 80s since robert chambers we've been developing tool sets on 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 uh, how do you have communities who are who are uh, maybe not as well informed as you are about the world how do you have them prioritize their own uh, decisions their own next steps um and how how do you facilitate such a discussion so that it's not just the one uh, leading elderly uh uh king in the region who defines what what development is because because there are power structures within communities as well that you that you don't want to take as a as a as a given Um, so i mean all of those tools are there we're we're sharing some of them reluctantly Uh, a lot of them have been published uh, but we every time and and again we seem to be unable to tap into those resources due to funding restraints we always say oh we, but we don't have the time to do it properly but is, it, is
0: it only the funding restraints because you also briefly mentioned the element of trust
1: true so a lot of the times we're hiding behind funding restraints and they're very mm. real mind you um they're very real the time constraints the immense reporting burden that that we've been piling uh, onto onto this type of work uh is it, is very real and present it's not imaginary uh, but second to that there's definitely the issue of trust i think um and that runs very very deeply
0: so where is this mistrust coming from actually
1: i do believe that this mistrust may be coming from some very real and lived experiences of, of fraud hmm. and corruption and abuse of power and of um uh, disappointments that people have had when when their hopes and dreams have not been met and and, and then they've taken that um, and turn their initial hope for change into cynicism and apathy, uh, and, and and I think those are our our strongest our strongest enemies to change are our own cynicism and apathy that results from from that cynicism. Um, so of course you get. So we need to
0: work on, on ourselves as organizations, as development uh, professionals,
1: as yeah, as individuals, uh, but also as institutions. And it's it's really uh, cynicism is contagious. Um, and, and fighting you know, the accountant within your organization, large, very large funding institutions have, the, have insane internal battles on, on how much trust and openness they can provide to, to the partners that they give funding to. Um, and, and some people will drive for more and more paperwork and resisting that as a quality measure is, is something that, that, that isn't done enough within large institutional donors, I believe. Um, like like ministries or but they are accountable to politics and then politics will will um, you know uh, upon the whiff of a rumor of spending, um will will blow up a storm um, and so then people become very scared of that uh, and so they try to screw down all the nuts and bolts in something that is impossible to screw down so it's 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 fear driven sometimes it's experience driven. Um, but, but why would we be afraid to answer questions in Parliament? Just answer them. Uh, why would we be afraid to stumble if if so much that we've done is going well? So so what we've done is we've internalized the things that have gone wrong way way more than the things that have gone well. I mean, nine nine out of ten children are going to primary school in the world. Nine out of ten girls are going to primary school in the world, and we don't even seem to realize that a lot of that change has, has come from serious investment and development cooperation, of which we're all shareholders. We've all worked on this. We have very little pride in this, in this process. I mean, we're, we're always seeking for the next thing to fix. And so um, it's, it's, we seem to be missing the, the immense progress that has been made as well. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, sure, there's dents in your enthusiasm. There's been you know, one or two colleagues who've behaved badly that doesn't mean that the the entire effort is uh is is wrong so yeah Yeah. there's always work there's always work my friend there's always work
0: yeah and and what about like the financial relationships between organizations from the global north and the global south how can we also dive into that particular element of changing the financial relationships and becoming more equal partners of each other instead of being subcontractors for example what is your take
1: (laughs) well so see um very very strangely to me, we have equated the person with the money with the one who holds the power. So yes, they have the power of selecting a partner, but there's no way that they would be getting the results if they threw that money you know, at, at a situation. Um, so so uh, rather than seeing both as equal partners in a partnership where both deliver, one just happens to deliver money. Uh, if you take, you know, a lot of people find the Ministry of Foreign Affairs a very powerful funder and they're just a channel for tax money. Um, and th- normally, if they want to get the results that they, they have to achieve under their policy promises, they need their partners and they should be treating them as equals. So in in, in, in the more recent uh, funding framework, uh, strategic partnership funding framework, there's there's been sincere efforts to sort of equalize that. Um, to to come to a sort of joint setting of of results rather than one party defining the ministry prescribing what needs to be changed, um, but it but it's it's it, it's very very difficult in practice to change the internalized sort of power relationships that people feel because they hold money, or that people feel because they they are applying for money, um, and so it's uh it's it's something that we need to shift in our thinking. and it, you know, what's money my friend. and it's <laughs> it's significant right? on yeah, the other yeah. end i mean i can i can i can disrelate it but i mean on, within a week there they'll the results will be published of the entire dutch development sector applying for a next round of funding and everybody's scared shitless. so i, I get money <laughs> is real. <laughs> um and and at the same time i mean if you look between 2003 and 2020 only 1% of direct Dutch government funding has gone to southern organizations.
0: Um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's an uh, interesting point, because already yeah. in the 90s, the Dutch Association for Culture and Development argued for a switch from intervention to genuine exchange on the basis of equality and reciprocity oh, yeah.
1: within development yeah, yeah,
0: cooperation. Has there been any progress since? I mean, this discussion <laughs> has been going on for years and years and years and years. now. You're oh. talking about the 90s, the 80s. What, what yeah. has changed?
1: oh very little <laughs> unfortunately i mean we've talked about it for a very significant amount of time and we've we've tried at it i i do see uh attempts in that direction by by different donors to really shift power to their implementing partners uh and then even further down to 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 uh, um southern partners um so, if, for example, if you look at organizations like the Postcode Lottery, um, they really fund what you propose to them. They don't try to define you know, your dreaming or your, or your proposals. You get, you get a generic contribution towards your organizational cost. Now, that, that, there's very few donors who do that kind of funding and will allow you to determine week in, week out, what you think matters most and to spend their money that way. So that is a true power shifter, and it's a very big, and it's the second biggest donor in the world by
0: Globally, now. Globally,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so that is uh, that is a dynamic which is very, very interesting. Now, still, people find it very difficult to live up to that. I, I know of a, of a private foundation that that really wants to fund long term core strategic issues for organizations invites them to come to them spend a week with them to really think out what it is that they need to shift next Mm. so that they will fund it and then organizations can't come up with it anymore they say please give me a framework give me a budget ceiling give me a strategic direction and i will write you a magnificent proposal because we've stopped uh figuring out what we think is fundamental to the work that we do we stop trusting our own expertise to propose that so so the few donors who, who, who do that are truly shifting something and i think they they need you need your attention in their in this podcast, <laughs> so
0: there is I, a I'd big responsibility for the donors, basically. Yeah, them.
1: well, I'd be interested to hear their experience because it's 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 also um, um it's also a big responsibility for the organizations who get their money to spend that wisely and to talk about the space that they're getting and how important that is uh, to them. Um, but but other than that, I mean, funding. Um, of course, I mean, money drives power in 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 horrible ways, um, but but i would i would really like for people to remember that that there's no results without the implementers and that's yeah. that's even if you it, i i would even put it upside down i mean the people who actually drive the results are are, uh, are much more powerful than the ones who just fund it yeah but yeah. hey <laughs> that's just my perception
0: well and i mean I that's drive. a very very important perception and um Evelyn, you make me very curious now. Uh, so, following the principle of practice what you preach, you are the director of the Hunger Project. I'm very curious. How is your organization trying to shift the power within uh, all the work?
1: Right. So, so in in the so I've I've had the honor and privilege of being part of this uh, organization for ten years now, um, and in all the work that we do. Uh, we apply a, a, a crucial set of logic, which is that the communities mm. that we work with define their own development. They're the drivers of change, um, and so what we do is uh, we have local experts who who support that change within their own country, um, but who facilitate the, the the work that communities do themselves.
0: So and that and, and so. And that starts uh, uh, then where? Um, so, from the start of the beginning of developing programs, you work with the local experts who are defining all the priorities basically, or?
1: Oh, no. So, so the local experts uh, in each country uh, work mm-hmm. with a community
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that the community can define their priorities. And so, it's, okay. it's the community that devi- defines the vision for mm-hmm. change, that defines what they want to commit to making that vision a reality, that maps together with our local experts what is available already, what strengths do we have, what can we build on, and then maps what is missing to get to the next step of that vision. And very often that's something, if you organize well enough, you can can organize that uh, by putting pressure on local government, and, and often also you need some substantial additional funding to, to, to make things happen. And, and, and sometimes that is available locally. And sometimes you have to seek for that outside, but it starts by looking at what is available already in this community. In every community, there are people who can read and write, who can then teach others how to mm-hmm. read and write if you support them in, in their, in their teaching skills, um, for example. Um, so, so by, I think, by now, we've mobilized roughly 500,000 community change agents oh, wow. within their own village uh, are facilitating change. Um, at no, there's no t-shirts, no pens, no daily sitting allowance, no, <laughs> no training, attendance fees. I mean seriously, if other organizations have been working in that area, uh, communities tend to develop what we call NGOitis, um, which is you know, where you sit around and wait for somebody to come and fix your shit um and 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 clearly it it's it can be overwhelming if you look at all the challenges that are before remote rural communities And where do you start
0: and do People these experts also define their own budgets because uh there is budget involved right within the projects
1: oh yeah for sure um n- not initially um so we start we start by jointly defining budgets um and then uh, over a five to eight year process, uh, they start defining their, not only their own budgets and their own mm. needs, but also uh, uh, their own social enterprises to meet those needs or local funding sources to meet those needs. Um, and so you, it's not something that you can that you can all tackle in, in the first day, it's a, it's a gradual sort of process of working towards sustainable self-reliance. So there is expertise involved, but you know, we bring in local experts from within the country, um, and and it's really really tough also for them not to say, okay, so we did this process, you know, 60 kilometres down the road, and we know this and this and this worked. Why don't you replicate it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because you know, I've done it six times. I know how it's done by now. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> So we we have to check ourselves again and again and again because it's different. It's different everywhere, and that that requires time and patience, uh, which often funders uh, you, know, you need special types of funders who will allow you to to develop at, at the pace that a community can go at, and and we're fortunate to have found those funders
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, in many different places.
0: Yeah, yeah. So talking about the communities, uh, Evelina, you're one of the initiators of the movement for community-led development. What is this movement trying to achieve and what is it? Is it a platform, is it a movement, is it physical, online, or?
1: <laughs> it's all of that, of course. Uh, <laughs> why would you want a mono entity? Um, <laughs> uh, so it's it's a global movement that mm-hmm. has, uh, I believe, over 65 different development organizations as its member currently. Um, we're just one of the co-facilitators. So it's a, it's a space where we jointly shape and learn uh, from each other's successes and failures and evaluations and share tools and share tips. Um, uh, and we're doing a, a joint um, uh, program evaluation with the World Bank of over 250 different uh, uh, program evaluations of community-led development work. But we're also having weekly meetings in in, in some countries to figure so what out what is it about that the com- community-led.
0: What is it about the particular research? The community led. So, what is the objective? I
1: so so community led development in all is is the type of uh, is is the type of work that you do when you let a community define its own development and help them mm. to facilitate that. Okay. And we're not we're not unique in doing that. There's 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 hundreds of organisations doing that, but they they all seem to be getting stuck with the same. Um, sticky problems and we're, mm-hmm. what we're trying to do is 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 tackle them together figure out how to work our way around it how to how do we re-educate some funders how do we what are the best tools what has worked for you uh, so rather than being you know uh long donkey shot knights yeah,
0: uh, yeah. fighting
1: fighting what seems like unsurmountable windmills if we pull our our skills and our resources together i think we we can make bigger headway than by ourselves. And so that's what this movement is trying to figure out. We have chapters in different countries. Currently with the spindle, um, we've set up a working group for, for a mixed crowd. It's also people who work um, on human-centered design, which has a very similar sort of values and ideas underneath, just a different language and tool set. Um, and so we're trying to learn from each other.
0: And would that be the, the ultimate tool then for community-led development? Because the human-centered design is coming from the human perspective. Develop everything, what you do, together with your users, with the human beings you are developing it for.
1: Ah, um, it's, it's, it's the wet dream, right? The ultimate tool. Mm, app, mm. one, one app to fix it all. Exactly. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, is this
1: is not a, it's not a Lord of the ring issue, my friend. Never. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, of course the value that we share underneath with people who work in human centered design is that you put people who are at the core of an issue at the core of the, as the driver of the solution. Um, but still far too often, I, I, from what I've seen so far in human centered design, we, we encounter the same problems that we encounter when we apply community led development, which is that, you know, due to lack of sort of time or space or resources, we, we do a quick in and out and people have been consulted and then we write the report for them or we take the data that came out and we don't feed it back to the community, but we, you know, as experts who hold the app, we feed it into a pretty report and we send it to our donor and the community never knows what changed because nobody figured out how to report it back to them in something that makes sense to the community. So, so there's, there's still learning to be had. There's no, there's no ultimate answer yet, but we're figuring out together. You know how to how to make this work and it's it's pretty strong i know we're all looking for the ultimate app but but you know this is just a, a, a yeah, we need to do this many... together
0: eventually right
1: exactly that's the only way to change the world my friend yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's
0: change it together um, um so how can so, organizations so... can become member uh Evelyn?
1: So, so anybody can, uh, there's every six weeks or so, we uh, currently, due to COVID, we're having online meetings. As soon as we are allowed to get slightly more physical, I'm sure we'll go back to um, meeting up in in space. Nice. Um, So it's being facilitated by the Spindle. So connect to the Spindle, you'll figure it out. Or look at uh, the movement for community-led development uh, online, if you're not in the Netherlands. Um, the movement for community led development has chapters in a whole range of countries that meet uh, monthly or or six weekly um and they also have monthly uh, calls with experts calling calling in from the entire world some uh, some working groups on M&E, some working groups uh on tools some working groups on covid now um so so there's something for everybody who wants to who wants to be part of this
0: another element you briefly touched upon uh, evelyn is um Uh, the current phase we are in within Dutch Development Cooperation. Coming Friday, uh, on the 29th of May, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs will publish the selected partnerships for the new multi-annual programs. Um, What is your practical piece of advice for these organizations who will be developing these multi-annual, you know, five-year-long programs together with the communities uh, in the next few months and weeks' time?
1: So I, I would strongly urge those selected wonderful few who will be having substantial funding for, for, for substantial work in the five years ahead to not skip corners in the building of your program, especially now with COVID. It's, it's going to be amazingly difficult to, to travel, to come together, but write up your program, consult with the ministry, figure out where your, where your space is um, so that you don't predefine your outcomes, but so that once you you can jointly set them with the communities that you're working with, that you have the space to do so. So, don't don't get stuck in your own log frame thinking. Um, and uh, uh, it, it, it's a really interesting evaluation that came out of the uh, EOB, the inspection service of the ministry, that figured out that even. Within the current strategic partnerships, there was a lot more leeway for organizations to work with their southern uh, implementing partners that they didn't give to the southern partners that they had from the ministry, but then they uh, replicated earlier really rigid look frames because that's just how they knew how to work. Please don't do that again. Please use the space that is available to to do true community-led development because you know that that is the sustainable answer to change and don't get you know don't get stuck running the same circus ring as you've done before what advice would you give
0: my advice would be is to go back to the communities and co-create the annual plan and the multi-annual plans uh, together with the communities and like you mentioned uh, Evelyn put them in the driver's seat explore how you actually can change these power dynamics um, one of the tools, uh, for example, Aidsforms uh, has been using in the uh, program development phase. So in the past few months time uh, before handing in the proposal to the Dutch ministry is the tool, uh, the power analysis tool, if I'm correct, developed by the Spindle and a variety of organizations. Perhaps your organization was also part of this uh, particular. Uh, oh, yeah, we, project. It, it drove us nuts. We thought it was a bookkeeping tool. Yes. yes so we try to we try to incorporate it and try to right. play with it because i mean everybody all the organizations are looking for some guidance how are we yeah. going to do this because there is willingness but the question is then how and yeah. um yeah i think my advice would be really go back to the communities and try to explore what kind of tool it is human-centered design other tools uh, to really create that change in a structural structured way and to integrate it within all your programs processes you know for the next few years instead of doing this once
1: well you should be the next one to be interviewed on this podcast no
0: no no thank you yeah it's
1: very sound advice (laughs) i'm
0: feeling comfortable with uh, being an interviewer thank you
1: (laughs) (laughs) so so make sure that you keep the space wide open for for joint programming uh at least with communities but at you know my ideal would be by communities because that is where change happens.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you you very much, Eveline, for this wonderful podcast. Um, I've learned a lot, and uh, all the best on your uh, journey. Stay tuned for a second episode of the Shift the Power podcast series of Disrupt Development, where I will host a very special guest, Jenny Hudson. Jenny is a de facto leader of the global Shift the Power movement and executive director of the Global Fund for Community Foundations.